This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. So, how's your week been? My week has been good, interesting. I've had a, I've had a busy week, actually. A week of many different variables, but it's been, yeah, it's been good. It's been a nice week and I've managed to get out running, which is great. Yes, I know because I was, I was part of one of those runs and you said I was very motivating. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's your lovely broadcasting voice, Natalie. (laughs) I was definitely motivated. And you know what? I find that when I'm running, if I can, and I I did put a post on my Instagram the other day that if I can think of something it takes my mind completely off the pain. And actually what I find best is if I'm angry about something. So I put a post on Instagram saying, give me some angry things to do with fertility. So what makes you angry about fertility? And I got loads of ideas. So I've got this little bank of ideas. So just before you phoned me, I was getting angry about, what was I getting angry about? I I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. So you were basically getting angry and then I phoned you and I helped. Well, I was getting I was getting angry and that means I run faster and harder and then you phoned me and then that took my mind off everything and Aww. I did I just ran because I was talking to you which was great so you need to be my running buddy in my Okay, ears well it time. fits in quite well with my uh, with my schedule. I've had How's quite, your week been? Well, I've had quite a fun week. Um Phoenix turned 6. You might have seen Yay, me. Yeah, um, happy birthday you Phoenix. You might have seen me Sarah and um yeah, that was uh, just a, a funny build up. It was like, it felt like the first birthday that he was totally excited about his birthday. And I was being a little yeah. bit cruel. I was like, right, this sleep tonight on the night before, this is the last sleep that you have to really grow before you turn six. So you need to eat all Aww. your dinner. And then I'm like, and you need to really stay in your bed for as long as possible because it's the best <sighs> sleep the night and before did your he? birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we'd like set up a bike for him downstairs. So he had a, he had a lovely birthday. Thank you. But also... If you can check on Natalie's Instagram, she and her dad, so Phoenix's granddad, made the most amazing cake. I have to say, it's one thing, I'm a dreadful cook, and I've talked about this on my Instagram, not a good cook, but by hook or by crook, I will make a good birthday cake every year for as long as I'm allowed to. I'm impressed. It's it's amazing. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful. So well just done. to um, if you don't get around to looking at my Insta, my dad, bless him, had modelled a massive BFG, and we had a, a series of like roll doll books and some characters. But it was the BFG that was pretty impressive. That was transported from my dad's to mine, which is about fifteen minutes. He'd sat him on a tissue box. He'd, it was a kind of um, so if you imagine a little square tissue box, my dad had yeah. crafted this BFG. I had to cut the. On it. Yeah, I had to cut the box away whilst watching Harry and Meghan last week. That was my, yes, um, was my uh, cake making visual. We digress. The other thing that I just wanted to mention was I have had my two worlds join in this last week because if you've just recently started listening to us on the, on the podcast, I also am a professional voiceover and I have just voiced. Of course you are because you've got most professional, wonderful voice. <laughs> Thank you. Well, in my other job, it's what I do. And sometimes I get to voice stuff within my fertility world. And this week, hopefully you might have seen it on my socials, but I voiced a video with Apricity, who 
I'm just going to say I'm so interesting in their approach to fertility treatment that you should go and check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes because I'm really proud of the video. It's a beautiful little piece of animation that they've created. And I just always feel so genuine when I'm voicing something about this because of my own experience and being able to do voiceover work with something that is really important to you is great. So I'm very proud of that. And do go and check Mm. it out and have a look. Like I say, good for you. Put a link in the show mm. notes. Now, in this episode of the Fertility Podcast, we are talking about home testing. And it is something we've talked about in the past. And we will share some other links, especially when it comes to male testing, because the interview that we're going to have, our guest is focused on testing for women. We spoke with Morton, who's the CEO of Exceed previously. And I'm all up mm-hmm. for there being much more conversation about sperm testing and it being in the comfort of your own home because we know that one of the most humiliating things that a lot of men have to yeah. go through is giving a sample. What do you feel about absolutely men having access to home tests such as Exceed? Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it, it's it's for a man to go and uh, to do a sperm test. It's in, it's incredibly difficult, and and you could argue that okay, well that's the only thing actually that the man has to do and yet women have to get going through IVF we have to do a lot more but it's still really difficult to do that procedure in a very clinical environment so to have the ability to home test is great luckily with a home test you can get two of the three parameters there's one parameter which is uh, morphology which unfortunately you can't get but I still think everyone has to start somewhere and if you can get a test a test is better than no test. And it might mean that you get a test done, it shows some abnormalities, actually, then you have the feel empowered enough and feel that you can get over the barriers to go to GP and get a full test, which will then give you extra information on top of that. So I think it's a great starting place. But obviously, if there's if there are negative results, then you know, you need to go forward for further testing. But if you get the all clear from that, brilliant. We'll just have a listen to this clip from Morton from our previous chat where he explains more about the test and the support that comes with it because obviously there's a whole area of of lifestyle things that need to be lifestyle factors that need to be considered so have a listen and we'll make sure that we put a link to the full episode in the show notes for you to um, enjoy it maybe after you've listened to this episode yeah so we set about to develop an advanced home test which basically is as good as what you find in fertility clinics and andrology labs. And then just making use of this amazing computing power and camera technology we all have in our pockets, in our smartphone. Yeah, that, that's basically what, what we've developed. It basically turns the phone into an advanced microscope. What we can then get from that analysis is the concentration. So how many cells are there per uh, milliliter, less than a million. And then we track the progressive motility as defined by the WHO. So they need to swim at a certain speed and in a certain direction. Uh, And then the last factor is the volume. So we end up with what's called the total motile sperm count, which there's a decent amount of literature suggesting that that would be the best initial indicator of male fertility potential. Yeah, so we wanted to develop a test where pretty much any healthcare practitioner anywhere in the world will look at the result and feel confident that, you know, it gives them a good initial um, analysis. And then I know you can then, you know, go into morphology and DNA fragmentation tests, but we see that more suitable once you're further into a treatment paradigm or, you know, a, a treatment course. We talked to so many men who had maybe overcome, you know, the, the, the stigma or hurdle of getting into a clinic and had had a test done. And then they were just sort of told, oh yeah, 
you're in the suboptimal category, it's going to be harder for you to get pregnant with your partner. So good luck. Right. And they just kind of felt left alone. So 50% of what we do, I would say, is actually this empowering tool of being able to actually improve your condition. So what we have is um, an automated lifestyle program as part of the, the app in there. So basically, we're able to do a personalized program that's presented to the user based on the test and then information provided. So, you know, we have an algorithm in the back end that weighs who is this specific user and what are the activity patterns and anthropometrics. And then we present them only with the pieces of advice most likely to have an impact on that user. So it becomes a lot more, instead of saying, you know, you got to stop smoking, stop drinking, lose weight, start exercise and everything at once, that's all very, you know, that's, that's a all order for anybody. We say these are the ones, like the top three pieces of advice you should be doing. So that's the male side. Whether you're curious as a man or a woman, whether you're in a relationship or not, whether you're gay or straight, it's always good to know as much as you can about your fertile health. There's no assumption, especially if you're thinking of having a family in whatever way, because we know there are so many different routes to parenthood, then this kind of home testing is relevant to you. And that's why we wanted to kind of have this conversation. And we're going to be speaking in just a moment to Dr. Helen O'Neill from Hertility Health about her home test. And Kate, from the conversations that you've had with your patients, do you feel people are becoming more brave? I mean, I've done this test. I don't know if I would have done it when I was trying, but then I don't know because I was a bit needle phobic. Uh, generally, I've always been needle phobic, but I did it little, little prick in my finger and it, and it was fine. And it wouldn't have occurred to me to, to try and find out more earlier because I just came into this being a bit older and, and having a problem. But I think it's amazing that, that they exist. And do you think that people are thinking more about this? They're thinking, I can find this stuff out before, especially when we've been, you know, in lockdown. Yeah, I, I actually, I was about to say, I think lockdown has made it come to the forefront more because our health didn't stop and any health problems that we want to investigate didn't stop just because of COVID. It just made it an awful lot more difficult to get those tests done. So I think home testing came into its own even more, actually. It's probably one of the positives that have come out of COVID. There have been quite a few positives that have come out of COVID, but that's definitely one. Women are desperately wanting to be empowered and take control of their fertility and to be the ones that are in control. But I still think there's a lack of awareness that these tests are out there. And when I speak to women and I say, you know, we talk about all the different ways they can either go to their GP or they can do some tests through me. And they're like, what do you mean I can do some tests through you? Do I have to come and see you? I'm like, no, 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 I can send them to wherever you are. You send them to me. But yep, they come through the post and it's just a finger prick. And they're like, I didn't know that existed. So I think there's, there's still a lot of information that needs to get out there but I think it's a great opportunity and how empowering is that to find out this information that then comes to you on a little report fantastic we're really pleased to be working with Bioglan on the Fertility Podcast. Bioglan's red krill oil is a pure source of omega-3, which supports heart, brain and eye health. And it also contains sustainable sourced krill oil from the Antarctic Ocean, which I've been learning a lot about. It's also quicker for our bodies to absorb, much more so than normal fish oil, so we get the health benefit faster. And the good news is there's no fishy aftertaste or reflux. Now, I take these little red pills daily and they really are super small and easy to swallow. And what are the benefits of omega-3 when it comes to fertility, Kate? Well, that's a really interesting question. There are some studies to show that omega-3 can improve in sperm quality, actually, which is really interesting. 
Uh, there are actually a few randomized control trials and those are our gold standards. So those are the really, the research studies that you really need to be looking at. And they show that there is this improvement. With regards to egg health, there are studies, but they're low, of lower quality. But it, it does show that there are potentially some improvements in egg health. But I think when it comes to egg health, we still need to do more studies to fully understand the benefits. So in terms of what you're going to take when you are looking to optimise your fertility as much as possible, omega-3? Yeah, absolutely. I recommend it to my patients, to both male and female. Why not? So if you want to discover the BioGland difference, it's available to purchase now at Holland & Barrett, Amazon and Tesco. So we're looking forward to speaking with Dr. Helen O'Neill, who is one of the founders of Hertility Health, about these really insightful tests that she's created. It's been quite a whirlwind and an ongoing one, isn't it, Helen? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. How's it all been? Because you, you're about a year in now? We actually incorporated two years ago. Um, I feel like it's been a lot longer in the in the making, in the mental making. Um, it's been something that for such a long time throughout my career, I've, I've, I've really wanted to build, mostly because when you work in reproduction and anything to do with fertility or IVF, then you become the go-to person for your friends, your friends of friends and people's sisters. Uh, the, ex the extended list of women who want to talk to you about their particular problems really goes on. So I felt actually it would be great to have a place to send them to, but equally something for myself. Because every time I've spoken to you about this subject, you're extremely passionate and slightly frustrated that this doesn't already exist hence you filling the gap. So yes. just explain a bit about your, your your background in creating what is actually a home test for people's fertile health. So I am a molecular geneticist, um, but I work in early embryo development. And for me, I think the, the warning signs, I'm, I'm a lecturer in reproductive and molecular genetics. And it's very strange to be lecturing about age-related fertility decline and sitting looking at a, a graph and you know that you're at the age where you're sitting at exactly the point where your fertility starts free falling. And it would used to be, I used to say that I would go to every conference and have my nails and digging into my arms, counting the years ahead of me saying, at what point do I have a baby? Because I'm already creeping into the danger zone. And that is a really harrowing thing when it's when you actually physically see a test tube come into the lab of somebody who's already been through IVF and their, their date of birth is the same as yours. And I thought, well, not only have they already gone through the trying process, they're at the IVF process. And, and here I am lecturing everybody in the in the classroom, lecturing everybody in the, the pub and not listening to my own advice. And what I found very frustrating is that there's no routine way of just checking. Our, our healthcare system is so reactive. It's not based around you being well and and maintaining wellness, um, it's based around you being sick and proving just how sick. Um, and for me, that is that is just shocking. There, we're, I think we're failing women um, by treating them as though they need a reason to be there and that they need to prove that reason is bad enough in order to be tested. So when I myself went to inquire about getting my eggs frozen, I was dismissed and told, Helen, you're a baby, come back when you're 35. And I thought, if I'm so easily put off and if I'm so easily dismissed and I actually felt a bit, a bit, uh, instead of feeling sheepish, I felt angry. I thought, no, shame on you. You know the statistics. Why would I come back when my chances are lower? So I wanted to create something that anybody could access. Um, 
critically, what I wanted to make different about this was to incorporate that every single woman is different. When we started to build this in a very, uh, I guess, simplistic way, we said, right, let's get out the textbooks. Let's see what we can put together. And what I was shocked by was the lack of insight into common reproductive conditions. In, in medical textbooks, it said women are happy to be consoled about their condition. And that is when I threw the book aside. I just said, this is not good enough because so much of the literature out there repeats the former paper. And then that paper repeats the former two papers. And it becomes dogma that we simply don't know enough. And that becomes okay and accepted. And it's not okay. And it shouldn't be accepted. So what we wanted to incorporate was facets of people's biometrics, be it their weight, their height, um, their reproductive history, whether they've been actively trying, whether they've had any previous miscarriages, factors about their um, ethnicity. We know that um, white women are more prone to endometriosis, black women are more, more prone to fibroids. These are statistics and these are incidences that that should be taken into account for every single person. So we've actually ended up uh, with what appears, as you know, you did the questionnaire yourself. We have four different questionnaires, um, depending on why the person is there, um, whether they're actively trying, whether they are um, just planning for the future, potentially the egg freezers, whether they're just curious or whether they have something up. And 30% of women at some point in their life will have something up. Um, so it was important for us to take that into account um, the questionnaires actually take into account over 1500 variables uh, so that we can tailor each test depending on why you are there and on your symptoms. Helen, I have a question just with regard to what you're saying about being more proactive than reactive. And I think you're absolutely right. We're so reactive, aren't we, in our, um, our medical care. Um, and for home testing to be able to be more proactive, especially when it comes to reducing the time to diagnosis. And I'm thinking specifically around endometriosis, eight years, PCOS, eight years minimum. Do you find that you are able to kind of really help and empower a woman to, to, to kind of get that diagnosis and then take that information, or at least not necessarily the full diagnosis, but to have that suspicion of the diagnosis and then take that information forward to her GP to get extra testing and further investigations. Yes. So that is what the critical element for. We've actually done it for nine of the most common benign gynecological conditions. Should never try and say that more than once. Uh -huh. um, no, and at, it's a mouthful. <laughs> at speed. <laughs> It's a mouthful, um, but we've taken into account thyroid problems. We've taken into account PCOS, premature ovarian insufficiency, endometriosis, and we've actually collated all of the clinical guidelines for of these conditions. So to me, the, the current system works where we rely on a patient-doctor interface. That is great, but when that reliance is supposed to be you know, you, when you're supposed to fortify a diagnosis in an appointment that on average lasts nine minutes, it's simply not enough, A, for the doctor to ask you a sufficient number of questions to ascertain what's wrong, and B, for you to tell them all of the answers that they need to hear. We also then assume that they are going to answer, ask us all of the questions. We also assume that the patient, even when asked the right question, will give the right answer. Most women feel have, have at least one story where they have changed the answers that they've given to a doctor, depending on who is in front of them, because they don't feel comfortable, because they've, they feel embarrassed, or because their partner has a, 
has come with them to the appointment. That is where a patient doctor interface actually doesn't work. And that's where I feel like we should be one step removed and there should be an absolute element of complete trust, complete privacy that you can answer all of these questions in your own time through an interface that you are comfortable. You're at home. There's no barriers. There's no waiting in a, in a, in a room. There's no sweating and panting and taking your coat off. That Those are the things that actually are not the fault of the clinician. They're, they're the fault of the system. So in, in, in enabling women to put in all of these symptoms, you know, we, yes, we rely on the medical system. We rely on amazing doctors, but we, when, when you apply the same principle to mathematics or calculations, you wouldn't say, well, you know, I'm going to ask a mathematician because it's more reliable than a calculator. You'd say, I've got a calculator and I know that that will take in the input, that will take in the numbers and it will calculate my risk. I think this is where we need to see more value in being able to actually calculate uh, people's risks for certain conditions. And we've, we have done this through um, creating internally embedded algorithms within our, in our questionnaire that take into account any symptom in isolation or any collection of symptoms together with your biometrics to enable us to say which hormones will we test you for. And then when we get your report, we combine your hormone results plus the answers to the questions and your symptoms and say this enables us to give us a very concrete diagnosis or suspicion of diagnosis for any one of these uh, given conditions. Brilliant. That's so so thorough, isn't it? And so different. So that's, that's fantastic. You mentioned four of the things. Everybody said we went PhD level on the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's needed. And if it reduces time to diagnosis, which I'm so passionate about, then this, this can only be a good thing. So you mentioned PCOS, thyroid, endo, POI. Even if it didn't pick up your diagnosis, it picks up an abnormality. You know, even the women who present and they say, I'm just curious, we've had almost 20% of them have come back saying, well, actually, there was something wrong with my results. They can download them. They can bring them to their GP. Or if they'd want to talk to someone straight away, we have teleconsultations with our specialists. Okay. That wasn't one of my other questions is what what support that you, you offer? Because I think... Every, everything about this is built around support. It's not appropriate, is it, to um, kind of do a test, give somebody some bad news, and then nothing. It's so important to have that follow-up support, isn't it? It's almost clinical negligence to give somebody some results and not not have support. And so at every stage, we have fertility counsellors that we they can speak to immediately. We have a team of clinical specialists that they can speak to immediately or, or they can book in a face-to-face consultation. Our whole modus operandi is, is pathways to care. So just talking about that support, because before... Um we've spoken, I've actually done the test and I'll share the little video of me doing the test, which is a a pretty simple blood test. And you mentioned I filled in a questionnaire beforehand and um, due to timing, I haven't quite had my results back in time for our chat. However, what I did have just the other day was a note from Hertility saying, basically, just to let you know that these results are intended to support, not scare you. And that's you know there's a lot of information here and and you're also then highlighting that whilst you are flagging up all these different things you have this amazing team available and then you say alternatively you can take your results to your GP for further advice now what we're doing with the the podcast is we're trying to kind of be at the point that people might be at when they're listening in that they might just be testing at home and we have an upcoming conversation about going to the GP to have more conversations now 
Considering what you've said about these interactions and the time frame that a woman might have when she goes to the GP, if she's gone to the GP armed with your test results, I suppose what we're curious to also gauge is, are the GPs able to kind of take that on and understand it and then guide them rather than people going through your support channel? Because I think a lot of us are still stuck in that, well, I'll go to my GP because that whole idea of it being a specific fertility specialist person is is too overwhelming for me at this point. There is an there has become less of a reliance on the GP, especially during COVID. People realize that they are that it's already overburdened and that during COVID they need to just speak to somebody straight away rather than waiting for that. I think we've unfortunately seen even in, you know, um clinical studies that have looked at Fertility awareness among general practitioners is actually very limited. What we are hoping is that um, I, I always say we're moving from a, the GP to the the Google practitioner instead of the general practitioner. Um, and many women actually don't go there just with the results in hand or just with anticipation in mind. They go there already armed with quite a lot of information about themselves. We've all become expert expert patients, which is frustrating, I'm sure, for the general practitioner and for um, clinicians. But nonetheless, I feel that they're at least, if they wanted to go with their results, that we have given them a very detailed report. So every report um, really clearly explains for every single hormone, what is this hormone? Why do we test it? What does it mean for every hormone? And then there's an executive summary that, uh, that basically divides your results into your ovarian reserve, uh, then into your ovulation and period and the hormones we test for, to, to look at your ovulation and period, and then your general hormone health, which is your thyroid function and and various lifestyle factors as well. So it's really clearly communication has been the utmost um, element to this because there's no point in testing somebody, giving them results, even if you explain things, if they haven't understood it. So we've we've worked quite hard to make sure it's understandable. If a lady has tests through you and decides that, right, I'm, go- I'm going to take this information to my GP, do the GPs always accept those blood tests? Because I've sometimes heard that that sometimes the GP might demand, and I know myself with, um, I had a home blood test done, not, not through you guys, a different one. And I then took it along to my GP and my GP wouldn't accept it and said, no, we don't accept those, which was really frustrating. So when you went, did you go with the actual lab, um, the lab printout or something that was printed out from a dashboard? Uh, Printed out from a a dashboard. So we initially had everyone's results on a dashboard. Now we make it available that you can download your actual um, lab. When you download your report, you actually download the lab form because that is a an accredited lab that the GP will accept. So you have both options. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. that's, that's that's good. We did that on purpose so that GPs wouldn't need retesting. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, good to hear. Helen, we've spoken about a worrying kind of um, narrative that you've seen, especially like on on online about women sharing, young women sharing their physiques and, and their conversations are talking about them not having a period and it being a good thing. And this is something that you're really keen to to get across that because there's a big there's a big gap in awareness here, isn't there? Yes, there is. There's a major disconnect with for, with fitness and the relationship that it has on your overall reproductive health. When you think about when you get a fright, your adrenal gland kicks off 
so much so it has a physiological effect that your heart starts pumping, you start sweating. And yet we put ourselves under other stresses like physical stresses. And we don't think that there's going to be the same physiological stress elsewhere on our hormones and our endocrine system. It is such a delicate balance between all of the different hormonal glands and all of the different hormones that actually when you get overproduction of one, you almost always will see a downstream effect on other hormones, even if it's not just one, it could be a whole family of them. And so we see that there is such a culture now of absolute fitness. And these women are looking physically fit, but reproductively, they're very unfit. And when we ask them a little bit about it, we say, how are you feeling that? Well, I'm I'm great. I eat kale smoothies for breakfast, lunch and dinner. I, I do 20,000 burpees a week. I don't have any periods. We say, well, how how long have you not had periods for? About three years. And why didn't you do anything about it? Well, it's actually quite useful or it's quite handy, especially if they're younger. It doesn't worry them. And, you know, we, we know that the, that our periods have now become one of the vital signs um, as a true looking glass and, you know, alongside your pulse, your, your pallor, all of these things. And yet there is a, such a disconnect between the harms that we do our body when, uh, you know, tr- attempting to become physically fit. So the they are actually in a state of what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea, where their periods stop. And if you kind of think of this almost in a in a much more primordial sense, it's your body's way of reserving all its energy because it doesn't have anything left, left to, to and it certainly couldn't undergo uh, pregnancy. Mm. And it's a real shame, isn't it? I yeah, s- these are the, just the disparities between fitness and, and reproductive health. I see a lot of women, Helen, that have that come to me having had that lifestyle. Um, and like you say, when they're younger, it doesn't really matter. You know, it was a, a godsend that they weren't getting their periods and they, they've they been exercising loads and, and physically they feel they're looking great. But when they want to start conceiving, that's then the, obviously the issue. And it can take such a long time to actually restart their cycle if they're lucky. And hypothalamic amenorrhea can you know have huge effects, not only on bone, you know, bone density, thinking about looking after the bones and having healthy bone structure is so important and if you're not ovulating and you haven't got good estrogen levels then you, it's going to impact on your bone structure so there's so much more to it than just the period so many underlying effects that it that, that it and coincidental effects and yet there's such a lack of awareness around the damage that i guess in a societal sense that the damage that this over overachieving fitness has on on your overall body and what's worse is that women know, you know they, they ignore it. We say, you know, why didn't you do anything? And actually so many say, I've known for years that something wasn't up, but I just didn't do anything. Or they will, and we'll say, did you speak to anyone? Well, I went to the doctor once and because I was young, they, they didn't really take me seriously. And that's unfortunately part, part of this, this problem is that if they have actually gone to the doctor and have been dismissed, because if you're not of reproductive age and you're not actively trying, then why would your periods matter? All we, all we care about is you not getting pregnant. So they're, they're put on some form of contraception rather than addressing the underlying issue. And that's very unfortunate because very often they say, well, I did try. I was fobbed off and I just wasn't willing to do it again. So the idea in this situation, if someone is listening and they're in that age bracket that you're talking about and they're not getting a period, that they take a test and they, they would 
then find out if there is an underlying issue. Is that what the ideal situation is? And then they're empowered by that information to either go to their GP or at least know if there is an issue that they need to think about starting their family sooner. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm actually proud to say we've already had a few fertility hatchlings uh, where people have come uh, to test. Um, they've said, well, I'm, I'm not really thinking, I'm not immediately thinking about having babies. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to get married next year or maybe the year after. And then COVID hit and they've gotten their results. And we've said sooner is always better. And, um, you know, they've they've said, I'm, I'm so glad I checked because I really wasn't prioritizing a f- having a family. And yet I know that I definitely want to have a family. So I think it, knowledge really is power um, when it comes to anything to do with your fertility and reproductive health. And I have full disclosure and I'm very aware that there is no true test of your fertility other than actively trying, but that's a very inconvenient way of testing your fertility. Yes, it is. It doesn't really work always. Um, no. I loved when you said fertility hatchlings. I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I think mine is is one of those two. Lovely. Well, I will share the video of me taking the test. Even if you're slightly needle phobic, as I have always been, despite going through fertility treatment, it's like a little lancet thing that even though I thought I broke the first one, it's like um the size of your little thumb that you, and it's very clearly explained. And I like, for me personally, that you say, Please read this through several times before you go ahead and do it, because I'm a so-and-so for bombing through instructions, doing it wrong. So <laughs> I'm not the only one. It's all very clearly laid out. Yeah. I said, thank you. We've, uh, we do try and make it very clear and send videos beforehand and try and prepare people for, you know, their results. I think it's funny that you did, you know, mention the result you got to, that we that we send before you get them. We often get people reply to that email to say, okay, is something, something, I'm getting bad news, aren't I? And, and actually that's a good thing for me because what people can, what we shouldn't underestimate is that many people may do this just quite trivially uh, or because their friend did it. And what that email really signifies is you should stop and think about the results you're going to get. These results can actually change your life. If it comes back that you have no ovarian reserve or low ovarian reserve, then your current trajectory and what your plans are for the next six, 12 months will rapidly change. Your priorities will realign, I hope. And this information is very, very powerful. It can be upsetting. It can be, um, you know, liberating. We've had some who have been so relieved that they have spent almost all of their 20s worrying, worrying that they are infertile. And again, that amazes me that so many people say, I've always thought I was infertile because they've had, you know, plenty of accidents when it comes to having sex and not gotten pregnant. And they feel so liberated by their results to say, I'm actually okay. This is great. Thank you. I feel like this weight off my shoulders, but it can go either way. And that's really important for them to recognize and stop and think even for a second, what am I going to hear? Because I know that there's also um, a, a section on the website, which is for testing after pregnancy loss. And I think it's quite important to add that into the mix if people are listening and aren't trying yet have experienced a loss that they can get more insight because people can often feel abandoned when they've had a loss without there being, if they don't know where there's any support or if they don't know who to ask or they, they're too ashamed to ask for support. So getting a test like this is going to obviously be so helpful. Honestly, almost everything we offer has been in reaction to the requests that we've had, we've listened to every woman who's come back to us. You know, one in four women have has a miscarriage and overwhelmingly all of them say, 
Well, there was no support. I was just told, yep, it happens. And it's a devastating thing to go through no matter how many weeks you're at and to have no answers and no support. So many women want to know what it is that's um, happened. We know that uh, research into this is just so, so, um, there's there's just not enough research into it. Um, But a lot of women do want answers as to what it is has caused the miscarriage and whether, and this test can tell you whether it's a chromosomal abnormality or not. But I, I think there's more research needs to be done into it. Okay, interesting, because that's so vital. Yeah, having to wait those three uh, those three miscarriages. People want answers. They don't want to be told that what they've gone through is just routine. No, no, absolutely. Okay, no, good to know. Good to know. Helen, it's been lovely chatting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you're very passionate about it. it, it you know, that really comes across as well, which is just amazing. Just it, it just It's just so needed. It's just so needed. We cannot just do off-the-shelf testing and assume that that is going to give somebody answers. Every single facet of a woman's reproductive history, of her medical history, of her biometrics, of her age matters to her overall reproductive health, to her overall her overall fertility. It's just, we, we cannot treat every woman as the same. Every woman is different. If you're listening to this podcast as it's dropped on Monday the 15th of March, I'm going to be live on Instagram with Helen at 12.30. That's um, GMT. If you're uh, not GNT, Greenwich Mean Time, um, if you're in in the UK. Otherwise, just have a look at my Insta and it will be there on my IGTV. Kate, you were nodding frantically during that conversation. I know it's right up your street, this whole awareness piece. The earlier, the better. It's It ticks all the boxes for you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's that whole timed diagnosis. Brilliant. If we can reduce that down, that's amazing. If women can go and purchase a fertility test and actually find out straight away whether there could be some red flags that would need further investigating. I cannot believe how amazing that is. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited by that. Because I was having a chat with somebody who's at the tail end of their 20s and they were saying, well, I would be interested in this. Is it accurate? I think from what Helen explains, there's a lot there that is going to show you quite a lot, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, I mean, all that, what, she got 11... 11 different kind of uh, reproductive parameters that they look into and then 115 variables. I mean, that has to be accurate, exactly. isn't it? Exciting times. I'll put all the details in the show notes, obviously, of how you can find out more about fertility and do have a look at my video of me doing my test as well from someone who is needle phobic, <laughs> how I managed to do it. And I hope you find that useful as well. But also just for somebody that is thinking about it, when we say needle, it's it's literally a little yeah. tiny thing. You don't you even don't. see the needle, do you? It's yeah. in the lancet and you just press it down onto the thumb so you don't see it. It just takes a little tiny pinprick. So it's not like no, a big needle. it's not. Kate's now demonstrating the size of a, of a big ruler. No, you can't see. Totally, <laughs> totally lost on a podcast. But yeah, yeah check yeah, out the show really. notes, all the details of how you can find out more. Ask the expert. 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 Okay, this is a question surrounding the evidence or lack of evidence with regards to immunology and unexplained recurrent miscarriage or recurrent miscarriage. And in particular, the question has come about natural killer cells. And where? what's your thoughts on that? I think the first thing with recurrent miscarriage, again, a woman's got a built-in quality control mechanism. The first level of quality control is that if an embryo gets to the uterus, either naturally or through IVF, and it's not genetically normal, your body should say, nope, no, this isn't happening. Sometimes you do get pregnant with an abnormal embryo, and miscarriage, as horrible as it is physically and emotionally, 
is the body's second level of quality control. It's making sure that an abnormal embryo doesn't carry on. And it's really important that people realize that as horrible as it is, it's the body doing the right thing. It's not the body doing the wrong thing. Now, clearly, you don't want women to go through loads of these and then find that actually they're, they're part of that really, really small percentage where there's something else going on. Um, so after two, three, depending on where you are, miscarriages, it's worth looking at other things. So classically, anatomy, is there anything going on inside the uterus or, or unusual shaped uterus? Good evidence that, that that's something that we should look at. Hormonally, making sure things like thyroid function are okay. One of the commonest things we find and when we do find another cause for miscarriage is a subtle clotting problem. So it's very easy to look for those with a blood test and very, very easy to treat those and improve the outcome. Increasingly, there's a little bit of evidence, again, that sperm DNA may impact on miscarriage rate. It's much more likely to be egg-related, but it is a test that is increasingly um, suggested to be doing. Potentially looking for some subtle genetic abnormality in either, in either partner that may be producing an increased number of abnormal eggs or sperm and creating abnormal embryos. Uh, once you've kind of done those, you're left with immunology. And again, going back to what I said you know, earlier, that the whole concept of, of that overactive immune system uh, impacting on, on implantation, the data really, really isn't there. So it shouldn't be first line. It's not really recommended now by any international body as a, as a test that we should, should be doing for recurrent miscarriage, probably unless it's part of some sort of ongoing research trial. Yeah, interesting because I do you know hear of women that are having it and you know, it makes me really anxious and worried um, because they seem to be going through the mill with a lot of this testing. Yeah, yeah. if you're at a clinic that's got some internal data, you know, they should be publishing that data. You know, if they're really doing it, I have no... The concern I have is when people first walk into a clinic and this is the first test they do, and it and it does sometimes happen frustratingly. You know, even if they haven't got a miscarriage problem or if they haven't got any concerns that really make that warranted, to perhaps do it in a scenario where somebody's had five miscarriages and nothing else is coming up, uh, and the embryos are genetically normal, for example, then okay, you know, I understand in that scenario the fact that we haven't got great evidence doesn't necessarily absolutely mean that it isn't it isn't a factor, but it really is ensuring that people are aware the level of data uh, upon which you're doing a test. And we had a really interesting conversation with one of your colleagues, Dr. Yao Tum. Yes. About the work he does from an immunology point of view. And we'll, we'll put a link to that. And that goes back to what I said in that, you know, if, if you're a clinic, you know, Yao did his, his, his PhD in the area. You know, we, he's, he's got some data, we've published it. But it's not top level of ran, randomized data that we'd like to be able to absolutely say this works. So in a scenario where you have got somebody who you've done all the accepted tests with, and you're not getting um, any answers, then in that scenario, occasionally you might do it. But it really should be only at that point. Ask the expert. 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 Now, don't forget, if you have a question for our expert, the lovely James Nikopoulos, you can email info at thefertilitypodcast.com or why don't you come and join our lovely closed Facebook group? Just search The Fertility Podcast on Facebook. We have a page, but we also have a closed Facebook group. And it's just a really lovely, caring community. People are answering each other's questions. And I know that a lot of people find it a really useful place to just go and, and rant. We're there. We're doing lives in there. We are sharing stuff that is of relevance. We've got expert friends in there that share stuff as well. And um, we'd love you to come and join us. Of course, you can also follow us on our socials. I'm at Fertility Poddy on all of them. Kate is your fertility journey. And if you're on Instagram, every Thursday at two, Kate and I have a brew at two. Again, another 
place for you to come and ask us questions. So we'd love to see you there. And also it's really nice to get to know you. So do come and say hello. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, we would love it if you could take a moment just to subscribe to the podcast and rate and review it because anybody that is thinking about this and searching for it obviously is looking at the reviews and the more open and honest you are about what you think about the stuff we're sharing, it's going to help them decide to share it and get more support, feel less alone. That's what we're here for. Thank you as always for letting us have your ear holes and until the next time. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.